is Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. I'm going to start out this week by talking about something Paul said after learning about Jesus. If anyone thinks he has grounds for being a big shot, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born into the nation of Israel, God's chosen people of the tribe of Benjamin, which means that King Saul, Esther, and Mordecai were my peeps. A Hebrew born of Hebrews, no Gentiles in my family tree. And as far as keeping the commandments goes... A Pharisee, which means I know stuff and have always been more serious about my religion than most folks. In fact, I cared about our religion so much that I persecuted and jailed all of my fellow Jews who believed Jesus. I kept the commandments perfectly, but everything that made me a big shot in the world, it's just nothing compared to Jesus, the Messiah. More than that, even... Absolutely everything that I ever took pride in was just stuff that means almost nothing compared to knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Because of him, I have lost everything. So I had to think of all that as dung so that I can have more and more of Jesus and belong completely to him. And we could look at others in the Bible and say the same sort of thing as well. Sometimes following God means saying goodbye to everything we are, everything we have, everything that was once important to us. A lot of people in the Bible even lost their families because their families weren't interested in following God and kicked them out, which is really sad. You know, I've personally given up so much of who I was before I met Jesus, but I'm glad because that stuff was really holding me back from knowing and loving him and being able to do what he wants me to do. What about other Bible people? Abraham left his home and his family too. They were idol worshipers. So that he could follow God into the promised land. Moses grew up as a big shot in Pharaoh's palace, but after he killed a slave master to save a slave from being beaten, he had to run away and found God in the wilderness and Then 40 years later, God told Moses to leave his life again and to go back to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel. Think of all the Egyptians who left Egypt during the Exodus to follow God into the wilderness. People who had no guarantees of surviving the journey and had to just trust God. John the Baptist was a priest and had the right to eat tithed foods and to wear linen and serve in the temple, but instead... He served God out in the wilderness, eating locusts and honey and wearing camel hair clothes, which sounds itchy to me. The early Christians often lost their families and their ability to buy and sell because they had to turn their backs on the Roman Empire's imperial cult religion. Now, of course, the absolute best example of losing everything is Jesus. John said that Jesus was with God in the beginning. And that when he came to earth as a baby, he lost everything that he'd known for eternity. You know, where he was living a perfect and wonderful life. When he came to save us, he became a human and had to deal with all the stuff that we have to deal with. And almost everyone abandoned him at the end of his life. And the soldiers even took everything that he had. 
Obeying God cost Jesus absolutely everything. Of course, you know, we all know the end of that story. Jesus got everything he ever had back, and even more because now he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and God put Jesus over everything and everyone. And all of us who have given things up will will get far more than we gave up. Jesus talked about that once. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything, meaning their jobs and their families, and we followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not get a hundred times more. Now, at this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children's and fields with persecution because, you know, when we follow Jesus, our family is everyone who loves him and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last and the last. First, it means many who were our big shots now, ooh, they're going to be in trouble later. All right. And many of the people that they picked on will be a lot better off. Now, most of us will never have to suffer like that, but Christians in some places do. We must always pray for our brothers and sisters, our fellow believers in places like Asia and Africa, where in some of the countries, it's still very dangerous to follow Jesus. Jesus has really changed so much of the world, but there are still places that need to know his love. And until they do, people still have to give up everything for him. And so you might ask, well, what does that mean for us? What do I have to give up? Well, the Bible tells us that we can't just live any way we want anymore, not once we know Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us to begin to make changes and helps us to begin to really love other people and ourselves too. The prophets hundreds of years before Jesus were yelling at the people who were hurting those who were weaker than themselves. They might hurt them physically by beating them or might hurt them financially by not paying them the money they've earned for working or might not set their debt slaves free after six years like they were commanded to do. Or maybe they tricked people or left their wives for no good reason at all. Things like that are all called oppression. And oppression is when someone powerful is hurting someone who is weaker. And so the first thing a lot of people do when they know Jesus is they stop hurting people. There will be no bullies in the kingdom of heaven. And so strong people aren't allowed to use their strength that way anymore. Rich people aren't allowed to use their money to hurt others. Powerful people aren't allowed to use their power to harm people who can't defend themselves. Smart people aren't allowed to trick people who aren't as smart. Instead, strength, money, brains, and power are to be used to help those who need it. If being a big shot means that you have to hurt someone to prove it, then being a big shot is not something Jesus wants for you. We can't do those things without giving up a lot of Jesus. But maybe you don't have power or money or strength or genius level intelligence. There are still other ways that we can try to be big shots. And wanting to be a big shot is not a good thing because it will always get us into trouble and the people around us. There's only one big shot in our lives and that has to be Jesus. That doesn't mean that you can't admire and respect other people as long as they deserve it, but 
Wanting to be all that in a bag of chips leads us to making the wrong decisions in life and valuing the wrong things. And that's what this week is mostly about. What's important to us and how do we try and make ourselves part of things that don't really matter so that people will be more impressed with us? And how do those things swallow up our lives and our identities, which is, you know, who we are, and take away from whom Jesus wants us to be? Our identities are important, and when we don't know who we are or what we are, and we don't value who we are, sometimes we'll want to make ourselves into something or someone else that isn't really who we are. That's why it's so important to know that who we are is enough. We are what we do, not what we think about ourselves. And so it's good to always be talking with the people we love about what is most important to us and how it makes us who we are. Some things are good and others are bad. But everything changes us one way or the other. One of my favorite books in the world is called We Become What We Worship by G.K. Beale. It's not a kid's book, though. And he goes through the Bible showing how whatever it is we want to be like, that's who we become. Now, what does that have to do with your identity? And how are worship and obsessions, which are things that you can't stand to get away from, and addictions, how are they different than likes, interests, and hobbies? What is there in your life that wants you to represent its image instead of the image of God? What things make it impossible for you to show God's image to the world? Who wants you to look more like them than like Jesus? What wants you to love it more than you love Jesus? Oh my gosh, so many things. I can tell you so many things that I have had to give up because there was just no way for Jesus to get in a word edgewise. All I wanted to do was to think about those things and do those things. And that's where all my time and money went. Do you have something like that? Hey, we all do or have had things like that in our lives, so I don't want you feeling horrible about yourself or like you're the only one. God knows that's how we are, and he loves us enough to fix it. The things we're obsessed with and the things we think we need to become, like, well, they don't usually make us happy. They just make us greedy for more of it. You know, being the age I am, I'm getting wrinkled and plump and all that. I see a lot of women my age who are so focused on looking good that they're never really happy with themselves. But needing to look good starts younger and younger, and kids and adults can be really cruel to us if they think we're not pretty enough or handsome enough. They want us to think that who we are on the inside isn't as important as what we look like on the outside, and so people spend all their money on buying products to make them look like movie stars, when even movie stars don't look like that in real life. They have a whole team of experts dressing them and putting makeup on them and doing their hair, so we have no idea what they actually look like. And when they're in magazines, there are always folks airbrushing their faces to make them look better. People think that they need to change themselves so much to be acceptable to people. But God didn't mean for us to spend all our time at the gym or in front of a mirror. We should take care of our bodies, but valuing beauty and big muscles and being so thin that you can't eat anything never made anyone look like Jesus. I hope with all my heart that you know how wonderful you are, just the way you are, 
and that you will make your decisions about what you want to look like based on healthy choices and not what the world thinks. Even those movie stars are told that they don't look good enough. So valuing beauty and trying so hard to be whatever the world thinks is beautiful this year will often make you miserable. And everyone gets older and very few of us do it while still looking amazing. Beauty and muscles aren't forever. Now, sometimes the things that we value, the things that we think make us big shots, are like sports teams that we follow and, when we're adults, our political parties. I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which means that my hometown boasts three amazing sports teams. The Steelers, the Penguins, and the Pirates. You know, it's easy to be a fan of those themes. I mean, not every year, but usually... And I used to be really obsessed with the Steelers when I was in my 20s. Oh my gosh, if they didn't win, I was just a mess. I felt good about myself and bragged if they won, and if they didn't win, then I was angry and embarrassed. Isn't that silly? Why on earth was I so interested in what people who have nothing to do with my life were doing? Did Pittsburgh having a good team mean that I was a better person or a big shot? Did it mean that Pittsburgh is a better place to live than anywhere else, or the people from Pittsburgh are better than people from other places or better athletes? No. How the sports teams did said nothing about me at all. I'm not a better person because of the sports teams that I watch or used to watch. How well they do is all about them and how hard they work together, and that's it. When they win the Super Bowl, I don't get a ring because I didn't earn one. And it took me a long time to understand that feeling better about myself because I sat on the couch watching a certain football team was pretty hilarious. They're, that's their accomplishment, and not mine, and so I have no reason to brag. I can enjoy the game, fine, but whoever wins has nothing to do with me. Now, being super proud of our ancestry can also be a problem. There are groups all over my country where only certain people can join, like the Daughters of the American Revolution, which I could join because I had at least one ancestor who fought against the British in the Revolutionary War. But does my ancestor make me special? Or more special than anyone else who lives here? Does it make me a big shot or more American than someone else who came here more recently and got their citizenship? No. That's what my ancestor did, not what I did. I didn't do squat to help win the war, just like I never helped the Steelers win a football game. But there are a lot of people who are very, very concerned about being related to important people and some of them think it gives them bragging rights. I once had a neighbor who hated people who came from a certain country and who were now living here in America. I was just a kid, but he told me that he was more American than they were because his ancestors came over on the Mayflower and those other people just got here a generation ago. Well, I was really shocked, even though I was just a kid. How could he be more American than somebody else who was born American just because... His relatives had been there a lot longer. They were both born here, no matter where their parents came from. I 
thought it was silly, but he was very proud about it and thought it made him better than other people. My ancestors don't tell you anything about me, and I don't get extra credit because of whatever it was they did. Other people, they're very proud of their genetics, but that's silly too. Genetics is the study of a person's DNA, which tells us where their ancestors are from. I'm 38% Irish, but what does that tell you about me? Other than the fact that I probably sunburn easier than you do. Well, tells you absolutely nothing about me. I've never been to Ireland. I can't speak the language. I don't get to ride on top of a float at the St. Patrick's Day Parade. There's no end of the rainbow with a pot of gold in my backyard, unfortunately. My genetics only tell me where my ancestors lived. That's it. I'm not a big shot for being Irish, even though some people think it's cool. I have no idea why, actually. It isn't better than being from anywhere else, but there are more rocks there than most places. So if you would like rocks, you know, go live in Ireland, I guess. But sometimes people can be really scary about being proud of their genetic background. Hitler wanted to make what he called a master race based on German genetics. He wanted people to be as pure Germans as possible. And not just German, but also not Jewish or black or disabled or gypsies. Anyone that didn't meet his qualifications for being German enough, he got rid of because he really did think that Germans were better than everyone else. Being proud of our DNA and thinking that it makes us better than other people just doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's not like we're all sitting on a cloud before we were born and that God looked at all of us and said, wow, that one is really earned the right to be born into a rich, powerful, awesome family with just the right genetics and let's make them athletic and beautiful too because I can see they're better than all the other babies. No, never happened. But people act like it's true and it's just weird. And there are so many other things that people think make them big shots or better than everyone else, but Jesus taught us a better way. He taught us the truth. Paul understood that truth because he could look at everything he thought made him special and realize that compared to belonging to Jesus, it was all poo-poo, which is what dung means. <laughs> when we belong to Jesus, we are all equals. He said that there's no male or female, no slave or free, no Jew or Gentile. All the things that make people more important out in the outside world are unimportant in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom, we are all brothers and sisters, equally loved by God, and we all have the exact same job of becoming more and more like Jesus, because when we are more like Jesus, the world becomes a whole lot more like the kingdom of heaven. And what's more, we become happier people because we know that being beautiful, strong, rich, smart, famous from the quote-unquote right family or country or following the winning team, this year's winning team, or being good at sports or whatever it is, you know, that the rest of the world thinks is important. Well, we know that those things aren't about us at all. They're distractions from God's love and becoming like Jesus, and he is the best. 
We are the people who were so precious to God that Jesus died just to defeat sin and death so we could be free of everything that the world tells us we ought to be. Before we knew Jesus, our identity, was just who we really are, was whatever the world told us it is. We had to try and be all those things that are important to the world. But Jesus teaches us that there is nothing more important than belonging to him and being children of God. I mean, just think about it. The world tells you that you're good if you wear the right makeup, work out enough, smell right, have a stylish haircut, wear the latest fashions, belong to the right political party, follow the right sports team, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus just says, follow me. Jesus teaches us what is really important. And when we really understand what following Jesus means, the other things that the world is telling us are so important just don't seem like they really matter as much anymore. Makeup and fashion never made anyone a good person or more like Jesus. Being a star athlete never made anyone unselfish or peaceful. Being famous never made anyone more gentle or humble. Being rich doesn't make people more generous or honest. Being smart never made anyone more forgiving. But belonging to Jesus does make those things happen. Little by little, as we listen to the Holy Spirit and become Jesus people, we change. And I know it's hard to want that more than you want to be a part of the crowd. Okay? I understand all your life, there will be people pushing you to become what they want you to be. And very few will ask you what you want or teach you to listen to God so that he can teach you exactly why he made you to be you. Life without God can be very lonely and empty. And when we're fighting against him by going our own way and trying to be what the world expects us to be, it can be very disappointing, frustrating, or confusing. But I have to tell you, you know, it's not like there's anything wrong with being good looking or good athletes or famous or rich or smart. But it just, it doesn't make us big shots, okay? No matter what you do in your life, not everyone will love you or approve of you or agree with you. And that's normal. That's okay. No one is loved by everyone except maybe Mr. Rogers. I think everyone loved him. But Mr. Rogers was a lot like Jesus, and he made everyone feel important and loved just as they are. If you need anything more than belonging to God to make you somebody, then you're in trouble because it will never be enough. And I want you to know that you are enough. You are a wonderful creation of God, and I am so glad you were born. Maybe everything you do isn't wonderful, but then not everything I do is wonderful either. But what we do can change as we become more and more like Jesus and show his love to the world. I want to tell you one more thing from Paul. When he was in trouble for not playing by the rules of the world and was choosing to follow Jesus instead, he said this to members of the Church of Corinth who still wanted to be everything the world wanted to be, and so the world was very nice to them. The whole point is that none of you will be arrogant, thinking that anyone's better than anyone else. What makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't get from someone else? And if, in fact, you did get it, why do you brag like you earned it? You already have everything. 
You're acting like kings without us, and I wish you were, so that we could also reign with you. I think that God has displayed us, his apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We've become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to people. We look like fools for Jesus, but you look so wise in Jesus. We are weak, but you are strong. You are respected, but we are dishonored. Up to now, we're hungry and thirsty. We're poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We work with our own hands. When we're insulted, we bless. When we're persecuted, we put up with it. When we're lied about, we're kind. We're treated like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. That sounds to me like Paul wasn't getting treated like a big shot. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I want you to spend this week thinking about how much more wonderful you are than the things you surround yourself with.